Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I want to tell you about Blas de Lezo, a Spanish naval officer who was famous for... Well, he was, he, was actually, he was actually famous for quite a number of things. Firstly, the incredible victories he won for the Spanish on the water. And secondly how his naval career ended up with him losing his right arm, his left leg, and his left eye, and he refused to wear a patch over it, without having the slightest negative impact on his mastery of the seas. Deleza was born in 1689 in Spain. He joined the Spanish Navy as a midshipman in 1701. He was barely 12 years old. And I'll tell you what, the poor bastard didn't have an easy time of it as a man of the sea. By the time he reached his mid-twenties, half of this bloke was just missing. In 1704, he, he fought for the Spanish against the English and the Dutch in the War of the Spanish Succession. And in, in the Battle of Malaga, which took place as part of this war, um, in that same year in 1704, he had his left leg blown off by a cannon. He had to have his leg, had to have his leg amputated below the knee. No anaesthetic in those days either, poor bugger. Uh, but this was just the beginning. He wasn't going to let something like a peg leg put him off life on the waves. Oh, no. He continued his work as a naval officer and received promotion after promotion. This guy was very good at what he did. And he ended up as a ship lieutenant by 1707. War of the Spanish Succession still raging on. It won't finish up until 1715. Uh, and in 1707, he was in Toulon in France. He was helping the French defend the city of Toulon from an enemy attack on the water. And the French won the day, but Deleuze lost his eye. Copped a face full of shrapnel, and that was that for his left eye. It was a goner. And ordinarily, after suffering an eye injury like that, many people would wear an eye patch to hide the wound. But no, not Deleuze. He very deliberately decided to keep his injured eye on display, proud to show off his battle scars as a red-blooded Spaniard. And portraits of Deleuze show him very clearly, left eye closed, completely eye patchless. And from what I read, it seemed like openly showing off his Great wounds from fighting earned him the respect of the people he commanded. Uh, it's an eye and a leg so far, if you're keeping track at home. And, and you'll actually notice if you go and look at these pictures and, and statues of this bloke, he's depicted in many of them as actually also missing his left hand. Now, I wasn't able to find anything about him losing his hand. I didn't find it. I couldn't. I didn't find any resource that uh, indicated where or how he lost it. I'm not sure that he did. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. I don't know. There's probably stuff written in Spanish that would explain it better, but I couldn't find anything about his hand. But even with the eye and the leg down so far, it, it only got worse from there. After a, a 1713 promotion to captain, the 1714 siege of Barcelona cost him the use of his right arm. While leading a landing party into the city, Deleuze's arm was torn to pieces by grape shot. Little, lots of little tiny balls fired out of a cannon, basically a cannon's anti-personnel rounds. 
Uh, but his arm wasn't amputated after crushing the pro-Habsburg Spaniards and their Catalonian allies in Barcelona. Uh, his, arm, well, his arm wasn't amputated, but he, he was never able to move it again. It was completely paralysed for the rest of his life. So this bloke has left little bits of himself behind all these battles he's fought. He, he can't use his right arm anymore. And as the War of the Spanish Succession wrapped up in 1715, you might think, look, mate, you've done more than enough. You put your body on the line in a very literal sense for your country. Time for an early retirement for you, I reckon, old mate, given that, you know, half a year's missing or non-operational. But no, Deleuze was not about to be sidelined. Even after the war, he remained part of the Spanish Navy. He was sent off to the Americas as a pirate hunter. And this bloke, I mean, I'm already painting this picture here. He was a gifted naval officer, a keen strategist. He inventively used things like naval smoke screens, incendiary weapons to take down his foes. And Spain wasn't about to let his talents go to waste. So when the War of the Spanish Succession ended, at the age of just 25, but with enough war wounds to last a lifetime, Deleuze was packed up and sent across the Atlantic to deal with the rise in piracy over through throughout the Spanish colonies. And through the 1720s, one of the true golden ages of piracy, as we've talked about on the show before, Deleuze was the party pooper. He would show up in a gleaming Spanish warship and chase pirates and privateers up and down the coasts of, uh, of the Spanish vice royalties, chasing them away from their treasure, that they, the treasure that they were seeking. And he was moderately successful in doing this as a pirate hunter. He took a few prize ships here and there. He recovered a fair bit of, uh, of stolen Spanish gold, but he was much less successful politically because he managed to get offside with the Spanish Viceroy of Peru. And this resulted, in the end, in him being sent back to Europe, to the Mediterranean Sea. But even this didn't slow him down. This bloke has been through hell and back already. He's not going to let a little career change, a little career obstacle get in the way of him continuing to stay on top. He was promoted to the chief of the Mediterranean fleet, and bloody hell, didn't he enjoy this job? He spent the early 1730s fighting more pirates, this time the Barbary Corsairs of the the north coast of Africa, But he didn't just fight pirates, he fought the Ottoman Empire, he fought the Algerians, he fought anyone who needed fighting, really. And remember, he did all of this with one leg, one arm, and one eye. He didn't let his injuries get in the way. With his 60-gun flagship, Deleuze did things like blasting a pirate stronghold to little bits in 1732, despite it being defended by two forts. This guy was absolutely unstoppable, but... His greatest victory, and the story I really want to share with you here, his greatest victory of all time came almost a decade later in 1741, the Battle of Cartagena de Indias. In 1734, Deleuze was promoted yet again, this time to Lieutenant General of the Navy. And in 1737, he was sent back off to South America to Cartagena de Indias. Uh, You can find this city today in modern-day Colombia. And there, he was stationed as the general commander of the Spanish fleet, just in time for a brand spanking new war, the ridiculously named War of Jenkins' Ear. The War of Jenkins' Ear is named this because in 1731, a Spanish captain, Juan de Leon Fandinho, cut the ear off of a British captain, Robert Jenkins, after boarding his vessel and finding him smuggling contraband. And after slicing off this poor bloke's ear, Fandinho told Jenkins to go back to Britain and tell King George II that he would do the same to him. And then eight years later, the two nations went to war. Historians decided that they'd use this one incident from ages ago to name the war. 
anything for clicks, I suppose. But it was a period of great tension between Britain and Spain, and it ultimately led to to war breaking out between the two nations. So anyway, Britain and Spain, they're going at it, hammer and tongs. Deleuze is charged with the defence of the city of Cartagena de Indias. These British send recon ships and then raiders and then attack parties to the city to test its defences, attempting to provoke the Spanish into attacking them on the open sea. But no, Deleuze held firm. Cartagena de Indias remained steadfastly defended, and so the British changed tack. They knew that they could take the Spanish on the open water. The the British Navy would be uh, much more powerful than anything that uh, Deleuze would be able to do on the water around Cartagena de Indias. He had about six ships under his command, and the British had hundreds. But they failed to draw him out from this stronghold on the land. And so in 1741, they sent a huge contingent of warships, sailors and soldiers to attack the Spanish city. Hundreds of ships, 30,000 people, the upper estimate there. And by way of contrast, I said that Deleuze was kind of outnumbered here and outnumbered he was. He commanded a defensive force of around three to 4,000 people. And as I say, six ships, six, not 60, not 600, just six. Now, one story I read, and I don't know if this is true, but one story I read said that as the British bore down on Cartagena de Indias, they were so sure of their victory. They were so confident that they were going to win this, as, I mean, you would be. You outnumber the, the enemies 10 to 1, right? They were so confident that they actually went ahead and minted commemorative coins to mark the occasion. They, mar- they, they minted coins that said, oh, congratulations, Britain, we won the, we won the Battle of Cartagena de Indias. We'll, we'll, we'll just get these out nice and early, you know, save a bit of time later on. People can pre-order them. They'll get them nice and early. Day, day one release, you know, it'll be fine. I don't know what they were thinking. They certainly shouldn't have been so confident in any case because... You know, the Spanish might not have had as many ships, might not have had not, might not have had, had as many men defending the city, but they did have a great big massive fortress outside Cartagena de Indias, as well as several smaller bastions and forts and gun batteries as well. And on top of that, they had bloody Blas de Lizzo, mate, one of the greatest naval commanders Spain had ever produced. And de Lizzo had a very simple plan, a timeless plan, one used by overwhelmed and outnumbered defenders since the days of antiquity. He created a bottleneck into the harbour that he wanted to defend to render the difference in size between the two forces irrelevant. The British assault came on the 13th of March 1741 as the British mobilised their attack ships and attempted to get after Cartagena de Indias. But Deleuze had the shore defences manned and like medieval infantry going up against a mighty castle, the British ships broke against the fortresses that defended the city. He put them into the meat grinder, mate. Deleuze sent out his six ships later on on hit-and-run missions and apparently even managed to capture a few British ships here and there. And you know what he did with them? Apparently, he sailed them right into the middle of the harbour that he was defending and scuttled them so that their wrecks piled up on the sea floor in order to create more obstacles for the British to overcome whenever they attacked the city. Deleuze was doing one thing and one thing only. He was playing for time. And you might be thinking, well, hang on one second. That's not a winning strategy. Just waiting around and hoping to hold, hold on for long enough until, what, the, the British get bored and go home? Well, no, no. Deleuze was waiting for something else. Deleuze was waiting for the Colombian wet season, which kicked off in May. 
When May came around and brought with it not just the tropical rains, but also the tropical diseases that come with the season, the Spanish, they're living in a city. Many of them have lived through this wet season plenty of times. They're no strangers to yellow fever and malaria. They know how to deal with it. They get through it okay. But the British, on the other hand, this colossal force of sailors and soldiers, they're packed into cramped ships. They're unfamiliar with the illnesses of this part of the world. And so disease rips through them as the casualties mount and mount. Delezzo knew he didn't have to beat the British. He just had to wait until tropical diseases made cramming tens of thousands of people aboard ships completely unsustainable. This was, from a certain point of view, Essentially just biological warfare, letting nature do all the hard work in cleaning up these British forces. By mid-May, the British have lost a third of their forces to disease and thousands more are crook as anything. The Spanish casualties, on the other hand, didn't even reach a thousand. And that is including those who died in battle. They lost around 800 people. Cartagena de Indias had taken a battering. The Spanish had lost ships and forts and gun batteries and hundreds of men, but they had held the city thanks to this defensive masterpiece carried out by Delezzo. The British, on the other hand, lost tons of ships, over 10,000 men, and so they limped off on the 20th of May, giving up two months after arriving with this seemingly unbeatable force, outnumbering the Spanish 10 to 1, but they were sent packing by our mate, Blas de Lezo. And also our mates, yellow fever and malaria, I suppose. Guess we've got to, get, we've got to give them some credit as well. Anyway, interestingly, Britain's defeat at Cartagena de Indias resulted in a pretty significant diplomatic shakeup in Europe. Britain's newly weakened position meant that they stopped mediating between Prussia and Austria, which led France and Spain to join Prussia against the Austrians. And that led to the war of the Austrian succession. But that's, that's another story. Sadly, however, today's story comes to a quick and tragic end after the Battle of Cartagena de Indias. Just four months after his great defensive victory, Blas de Lezo himself succumbed to illness. Not to yellow fever or to malaria, but to typhoid fever. Poor bugger, he was only 52 years old, but death came for him all the same. But his tale lives on. There are statues of this bloke throughout Spain reflecting his position as a legend of of, of Spanish naval history. And ever since the 19th century, a whole host of Spanish warships have all been named after him. Even today, a 147 metre long Spanish frigate bears his name still in active service. Although I don't know if the Spanish Navy is still defeating its enemies by waiting for them to die of yellow fever and malaria. I think they may have left that particular page of the operational handbook back in the 18th century. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 